Then the Lord said to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. And this is from Galatians uh, chapter 5, verses 22 20, through 23 and 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against all things there is no law. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You know, I, th- I think it's easy um, to think about the kind of person that you like. God doesn't want me to be like such and such. Like when you're, you've done something bad or you feel bad about yourself, you can sit and make a list. It's easy to make a list of these are probably the things that God doesn't want me to do. The kind of person God doesn't want me to be. But a harder question for us to answer usually is what does God want me to be like? Like, how does God want me to act? How does he want me to, to sort of go about my life in the world? And uh, the, Bi- the answer to that from the Bible's perspective is that God wants you to be like Jesus. Okay, and this semester we've been studying what's called the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is sort of a shorthand way to understand what is Jesus like? What is the kind of person that God wants to make you? And it's the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. It's one fruit in different components. And the reason why is because um, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all that are things that Jesus exemplified. Jesus was exemplified love and joy and peace. And as God makes you like Jesus, you will begin to show all the different parts of his character. Does that make sense? Um, I knew a guy once that had a bone marrow transplant, and, uh, which is really awful and painful. But he was like a fair-haired guy with sort of thin, this, this is, sounds weird to say, thin arm hair. Um, like he just had, you know, this not, not remarkable arm hair. And uh, <laughs> unlike me. Um, and after he got a bone marrow transplant, it was really strange because his arm hair actually became very like, like thick and coarse and dark. And his arm hair actually began to change because this new bone marrow that was put into his body began to, he began to change to look like the person that the bone marrow had come from, which is a really weird, as, a, as now I say, a creepy sounding example <laughs> for the fact that when, when you come to faith in Jesus, Jesus comes to dwell in your heart by faith and that inevitably your life begins to take on characteristics of Jesus's character. You begin to become a person that has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all that. And so we're looking at each of them bit by bit. And tonight we're looking at peace. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And peace is one of those things that is a sort of a tricky concept where it's kind of hard to define what peace is. Kind of like it's hard to define what love is. But you know when it's not there. Right? Um, you know when there's hostility between persons or between communities or between nations, you said there's not, there's not peace there. Like if there's insults or violence or oppression or resentment, then you go, there is a lack of peace in this place. So the starting point of peace, the, the place that you start when you're moving towards peace is to remove hostility. Does that make sense? There can't be peace where there's hostility between people or between groups. The parties that are involved with one another have to lay down their arms. They can't do violence to each other. So the starting point of peace is the removal of hostility. And this passage here, maybe you didn't even know that there was a book in the Bible named Numbers. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like a name of a book. It just sounds like a word, Numbers. Um, 
Numbers is the book that sort of comes between Exodus and Joshua in a narrative. So in Exodus, God's people, Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. And God takes this guy, Moses, and he leads his people out of slavery. Maybe you've seen Prince of Egypt. And he takes his people out of slavery and they go into the wilderness. And in the book of Joshua, God's people go into a new land called Canaan. And Numbers is the book that's sort of in between there where God is preparing his people to go into this new land. And God instructs Moses, if you look on your sheet, by the way, we have free Bibles in the back if you ever want to take, take one of those. Um, God says to Moses, he says, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel and you shall say to them. He tells this guy, Aaron and his sons to bless God's people. And Aaron and his sons are what's called priests, okay? Donut makers make donuts, right? Just by definition. Usually. Um, Priests make sacrifices, okay? A priest's job is to do sacrifices. They, they, They spill the blood of animals, okay? If you think about what is a priest, what was a priest in Israel? They spill the blood of animals to make peace between the person offering the animal and God. Okay, does that make sense? Like literally, can you imagine, that's kind of a weird job, that people just bring animals to you and you kill them in a very ceremonial way. But what the priest was doing, what Aaron and his sons were doing, was they were, they were do, really doing two things. They were acknowledging the fact that there's hostility between people and God. Okay? You can't have peace where there's hostility, right? And the fact that this animal has to come and die shows that there's hostility between you and between God. But also what they're doing is putting the grace of God on display. Essentially what they're saying is, look, things aren't right between you and God, between God's chosen people and himself. And so this, somebody's going to have to die. Okay? Blood is going to have to be shed. But the good news is that God is going to provide blood for you that's not your own. Blood had to be shed to close the rift, but God provides the blood. Think about it like this. Um, think about a child that's raised by good parents. Not like the parents you had. Um, uh, some of you guys are like, let's turn the knife. Um, but imagine a child that's raised by good parents, loving parents, parents that provide for the child. And let's say this child at a young age curses his parents and burns down their house. Okay, it says, I want nothing to do with you. He burns down the house, runs away. Now, from the parent's perspective, they would still love their child, right? They would still have affection for their child. They wouldn't stop being their child's parent, right? But clearly there is some hostility, obviously, between the child and the parent. And as long as that hostility is there, there can't be peace. Something is going to have to give. That hostility is going to have to be removed. And you know this if you're a person that's here tonight and you have been sinned against. Someone has taken advantage of you. They've hurt you. They've oppressed you in some way. You know that unless the hostility is removed, unless there's acknowledgement of what has been done wrong, and there's justice for that thing, that there can be no peace between you and that person. You may can try and get along. You may can like sort of, uh, sort of cohabitate in the same space, but there will never be peace between you until the hostility is removed. And God is serious about bringing peace to his people. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was this, uh, not a bullfrog, he was a guy in the Old Testament, was a prophet, <laughs> And he makes this comment in in chapter 6. He's talking about these false prophets and priests. And he says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. You hear what he's saying? 
they have these, these, these false prophets and these priests, they have healed the wound of my people lightly. They've not gotten down into the wound to really heal it. They've just dealt with it in a superficial way. And the problem is that these priests and prophets refuse to acknowledge that God's, there was hostility between God and his people. They said, no, you guys are, you guys are fine. They were like um, your friend that like knows that you're in the wrong but refuses to tell you that you're in the wrong and just keeps the nah, man, you're good. Like, you're fine. You were totally justified to do that thing. Even though they know for a fact that you are wrong, they won't tell you that. And the reason being because they want you to like them and also because they don't have a car and you have a car <laughs> and they need to get to cookout. And if you, they sort of confront you, you're not going to give them a ride to cookout. The prophets and the priests just wanted to keep getting paid so they, were, they wouldn't call out God's people's sins. And that makes peace impossible, okay? Um, if you, have you, has anyone seen Tommy Boy? Is this a movie that is like now? Oh, lots of people. If you haven't seen Tommy Boy, watch it. It's hilarious. But there's a part where David Spade just drills Chris Farley in the face with like a two-by-four. And they're sitting in a diner afterward. And Chris Farley is like, is there anything on my face? He's like, it doesn't hurt here or so much here, but like right in here. And it's like this huge bruise up the side of his face. And he's like, nah, man, you're good. Ship shape. Um, <clears throat> that's what these people were doing to, to God's people. And that's how we actually deal with ourselves a lot of times. We refuse to recognize that we're not okay. That there's hostility in us toward God. And unless that hostility is acknowledged and removed then we can't have peace with God. And maybe the reason tonight that you're here and you feel that you are not at peace with God is because you're not allowing yourself to recognize that you have hostility toward God, um, that you don't do things right, that you don't love God with your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, But the reality is you can acknowledge that because there's good news. Because remember, the priest, uh, his job was to acknowledge that there's hostility, that there's sin, but his job is also to bring God's grace to bear, to put God's grace on display. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 says this. It says that, in, that, Christ, that Jesus Christ was reconciling the world to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Ephesians 2, that says that Christ himself is our peace. And at the cross, he killed the hostility that's between us and God and between us and one another. That Jesus worked as a priest. Remember, the donut makers make donuts, priests make sacrifices, right? Jesus made a sacrifice of himself. On the one hand, acknowledging the fact, someone hanging on a cross, bloodied and, and tortured and beaten and dying, uh, there's a full acknowledgement that there's some hostility there. But he's also putting on display the fact that God is not going to allow that hostility to sweep you away. Uh, and my question for you is, is what hostility are you still carrying? Um, Jesus has not only destroyed and killed the hostility between us and God. And if you trust Jesus, he takes it away at the cross. But he also breaks down the dividing wall of hostility between people. Um, and I want you to hold on in your mind. We're going to come back to this. What hostility are you holding on to toward God and toward one another? So first, the the starting point of peace is that there has to be a removal of hostility. But that's just the starting point, because if hostility is removed, there still might not be peace, right? 
If you think about modern Israel and Palestine, they've had a, you know, issues for a long time now. And if they got to a place where they said, we are going to stop doing violence to one another, like we're just literally going to stop a complete ceasefire, um, I don't think anybody would say that there is now peace in Israel and Palestine, right? There's something still missing. You know this, like if you've ever been uh, to Thanksgiving and you have a family that is complicated, like everyone does, um, there's always that we- one weird person that's like, my family is amazing and everyone's fine. I'm like... We can work through that. Um, <laughs> but you know this, like your mom maybe will say, or your grandmother like will say, let's just have peace. It's Thanksgiving. Okay? But like everyone knows that's not really peace, right? That's just a lot of people saying angry things inside instead of outside to other people. The word that the Bible uses in this passage for peace is one that you've heard before. It's called shalom. Look, look in the passage. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, which means, again, his face upon you, and give you peace, give you shalom. And shalom is much more than a lack of war. Shalom means wholeness, completeness, everything in the world in its right place, satisfaction. Shalom is the thing that if you've read the book of Revelation, when Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new, that's shalom. It's a world where everybody finds themselves content with where they are and, the, and everyone seeks the good of another. And, and the blessing in this passage, um, which is called a benediction, if you've ever, maybe sometimes you've been to a church and at the end of, a pa- of the service, you'll see the, the pastor or the priest raise their hands and they will say this very thing. It's a blessing. It's words of blessing to God's people. And this blessing shows us where shalom comes from. Look again in verse 26. It says, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Uh, if, you, if you take nothing else away tonight, take this. The only way to get true peace is by God lifting up his face on you. And when you look into his face, you see a delighted smile on God's face. Um, that when, you, when God lifts up his face on you and you see his pleasure, that is when you are able to have true peace, peace for your soul. Um, I don't know when at the end of 2016, Spotify did like your top songs of the year, which is incredibly embarrassing probably for most of us. Because I had several songs from the Frozen soundtrack. <laughs> and that's not because I have kids. It's just because I just really am into Frozen. <laughs> but my number one song, and it's true because I listened to this sh- song in the shower, I think partially because the band is called Wet, and so it just felt ironic to me. Um, <laughs> but it's a song called, because everybody gets wet in the shower, man, come on. Um, it's a song called It's All in Vain. Has anyone heard the song? It's a great song. Go home and listen to the song later. It's a great song. But the chorus of the song, um, the woman singing, she says, when you say you love me, baby, let me see your face. Okay, because the song is basically like, you're touching me and you're telling me that you want all of me, but like, I know you're not serious um, and I'm, gonna, I'm pushing you away. But Because she, she says, when you say you love me, I want to see your face when you say it. And everybody in this room instinctively knows what she means when she says that. Because our face says things way more than what our words can possibly Say, this is why there are emojis, by the way. Um, 
It took about like 10 to 12 years, but everyone just got super tired of texting being so hard to understand. Uh, it's like a totally flat medium with no inflection. So literally, people added faces to texting. Okay, this is why GIFs are, do you say GIFs, GIFs, whatever? I think GIF is more fun because it sounds like peanut butter. Um, <laughs> emojis and GIFs give a face to your text message so that you can understand what the person is actually trying to say to you. And if you've ever spent time around children, one day some of you guys will have children, that's when you will really begin to realize that you have a face. Okay? And that your face is communicating things to people that you may not intend it to be communicating. And it actually can be very powerful to another person's soul. Um, my daughter, Georgia, who's six, um, has just recently, when she gets in trouble... She is like truly my child because she begins to just like wallow in the shame of just like being the worst, you know, it's like, it's like you did something wrong and she's like literally like wailing, like I'm a terrible daughter. Um, it's really, it's hard. I mean, it's heartbreaking. Uh, I'm like, you should stop now because this is not going to get any better. Um, <laughs> but when she does something wrong and she goes to that place, I literally have to take her face, right? And I have to put my face in front of her face. And I have to say, look at my face. I am not angry with you. Like, can you see my smile? Like, I'm delighted. You're a delight. I love you. I'm not angry with you. And it's only from seeing my face that she will believe me. Right? And that's exactly what God is doing in this blessing. He's saying, God, lift up his face on you so that you can have peace. So that you can see his pleasure. Like God is literally giving his people the gift of his smile to them. And in, you know, there's a song that we sing sometimes in REF. It's called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And there's this line that always gets me. And um, it says, How great, this talking about Jesus being on the cross. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away. Because the opposite in the Bible of God lifting up his face on you is him turning his face away away from you. And Jesus, again, on the cross, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And and it is as if God is turning his face away from Jesus. Jesus is the only person who by merit, by the, by the, the, the action of his life, deserved God to look on him and say, well done, here is my smile. And God turns his face away from Jesus um, so that we, children who despise our father, really, can experience God's smile. He turns his face away from Jesus so that he would never have to turn his face away from you if you're in Jesus. And my question for you um, is if God turning his face on you and you seeing his smile is the source of shalom, when you bow your head or close your eyes or whatever it is when you go to pray, what face do you see? Because it can absolutely determine, tell you that that's determining your joy. It's determining the amount of peace that you have in your heart. When you close your eyes, if you have said yes to Jesus, whether, regardless of what you think God is looking like, God is smiling over you. Later in the Bible, God will say that he sings over and delights over his people with loud singing. You ever thought that God like, wants to sing a song over you because he's so happy to be around you? So God turning his face, lifting up his face on you is the source of true shalom. And the question for us is, what do we do with that? Like, where do we go from there? Um, And part of what it means is if shalom is more than just a lack of hostility, but is in fact wholeness and harmony and completeness, 
that means that true peace is going to be work for you. Does that make sense? Like sometimes we, we just like to think God does something and I receive it and I just chill in it, right? But if, if shalom is wholeness and completeness in your life and in communities and in the world, that means that you have work to do. Um, we typically think of peace as like being like laid back. In the South, in Appalachia is not the South, it's a weird place. Um, but I'm from Georgia and from in the Deep South, like the number one compliment you can give somebody like when you're introducing them to someone else is that they're chill. You know, like she's super laid back. Like he's totally chill. And that tells everyone they're cool. Like they're, they're relaxed, right? They're, they're, they're fine. And we tend to think about peace as that. It's just, it's just chilling out. It's, it's almost like just not caring, right? Like I have peace in my life when I just don't care that much. And what God is showing us is actually quite the opposite. Real peace is actually caring a lot. Um, it's actively pursuing peace out there because you have received peace from God in here. And that means two things for you. One, that means that peace means turning your face on other people, lifting up your countenance on your neighbor. Um, God created everybody in this room in his image. Okay, there's nobody in this room that was accidentally made. Everybody in here, and I don't think we really think very hard about how radical this is. Everybody in this room, God knew before they were ever conceived. And he, he put you together. And he has walked with you day by day, step by step, every day of your life, loving you and pursuing you every day of your life because he made you in his image. And if you said yes to Jesus, that means that even more than that image, Jesus dwells in you by faith. And so that means that when you lift up your face on your neighbor and you give them the gift of your smile and of your attention, that you're actually reflecting God out into the world. It doesn't feel like that, but that's what, this is exactly what's happening. Um, at the beginning of this year, I did that stupid thing where you like decide, I'm going to make some goals for the year. I'm going to put them on the computer so they're real. And I went to my wife and I said, Sarah Jane, um, how can I love you better in 2017? As if she's like, you know, like a checklist. And uh, she said something really weird. She said, uh, I would really like it if when you got home, I come home every day at five o'clock. And she said, when you walked in the door, if you would look at my face and smile, I would feel that would, that would be great for me. Like, and, and it surprised me. I, I mean, she's like, I know you're happy to be home, but I, it would just mean everything to me if, if you would just give me the gift of your smile as soon as you got home. Um, when you, everyone's like, ah. uh, I'm glad Sarah Jane's not here now. Um, when we give someone else our smile, we're imaging God to them. So um, are you able to confess to someone that you have wronged them? Because if there's hostility between you and you can't own it, you can't give them that smile, right? This is, I told you, we we're going to come back to that hostility stuff. So now we're there. Are you able to confess to someone that you've wronged? Um, are you willing to listen to how you've caused harm, even if you disagree with what the person is saying at first? Like, are you able to actively, like, hone in and listen? Um, or, like, can you approach someone who has caused you harm 
and say, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I want to seek reconciliation with you so that we can lift up our face on one another and give each other peace? Or is the feeling of that justified hostility just too sweet and beautiful to let go of? Um, And simply put, are you turning your face away when God all the while is smiling on you? And I don't say that like, now feel bad enough that you're doing that. What I'm saying is like, did you know there was an alternative to just holding on to the hostility? Like reconciliation is real. Um, Turning your face on your neighbor is honestly just the very small act of giving them the gift of your eyes and your attention. Um, A pastor that I really respect in town, his name is Reggie Hunt, something that stuck with me that he said. He said, you know, we don't love other people to convert them as Christians. We love other people because we are converted. Like, um, that, that has stood out to me just in profound ways. So, so we can give each other the, um, the gift of our eyes. We can lift our face upon others. And the other thing I want to say is, as we're pursuing shalom is that we can long together for shalom. That like together as a unit, as a corporate group of people, we can long for God to put everything right. Um, one of the most important things you can do is long for peace together to talk and dream together about what it might look like on this campus if you simply lifted up your face on the people around you and granted them peace. Um, I think right now, it's going to be weird to say this because this is going to sound like a political issue, and this is like the most non-political issue imaginable. Right now, that means lifting up your face on people that are fleeing persecution and oppression throughout the world that literally have no shalom. And for you, that might look like attending the march tomorrow on campus at noon for refugees. Do you have to do that? No. Is it like the only thing you can do? No. Does it mean that you're not a Christian if you don't show up at this march? Of course not. But my question is, um, how are you caring for people that are experiencing the opposite of shalom and having, they're being forced out because of they're being persecuted religiously or ethnically. Um, that's not a political issue. Like, that's a gospel issue. Caring for the least and the last and the lost. And regardless of how you feel about political policies that are happening, what are you doing to bring shalom to those that are feeling it the most intensely, feeling the lack of shalom the most intensely? And maybe, and I, I never say this, and I realize today that I should more, maybe you could be that person that goes to that place where there is a lack of shalom and live there and bring hope in Jesus to those people. That could be you. That could be you, just FYI. You know, yeah, it's got to be somebody. Um, if the career, uh, let me ask this. This is sort of the last question. Is the career that you're pursuing showing the world that you long for shalom? That you long for the world to be whole and right and complete. That you want true peace and health and wholeness for the poor and for the forgotten. Are you preparing yourself in your career to lift up your face on the people around you and give them peace? Your neighbors and your neighborhood. Um, And again, it's not like, so feel weird about it. It's like, did you know that that's an option? (laughs) Did you know that like, God can prepare you now for your whole life to be lifting the, your face on people and giving them peace? Where will you take God's smile out into the world? Um, I hope that you'll come to Chattanooga with us over spring break. Um, there's a guy there. His name's Paul Green. 
and he's the director of, of Hope for the Inner City, and he's, a, he's an amazing man. And uh, he's an African-American guy, and he grew up in Compton and, in L.A., which is a, is a hard place to grow up, and he grew up sort of on the street. And one day, a white church from his neighborhood came onto the street and started, like, sharing about Jesus with the people there, super awkwardly. I think with full recognition of, like, our lives aren't like these people's lives, and that's in some way our fault, okay? Recognizing the hostility. But he saw God smile to him that day through someone that simply just lifted up their face, and they said, despite the awkwardness, I'm going to lift up my face to you and tell you about Jesus. And now he's helping the entire community and city long together for shalom and try and build it together. And you should come. Like, you should come and see that. Like, I can't express to you how um, important and impactful it is to long for shalom together. Um, God has given peace to us by lifting up his face on us. And may he give us the courage to reflect that smile to the world. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much that in you, you have received God's um, rejection so that we can receive God's acceptance. And um, I know a lot of the stuff this gets thrown out here and fearfully gets thrown out. And um, Lord, I, I don't know what it means for everyone in their room to pursue peace with their roommate and with their family and with their neighborhood and with our campus and with the world. But you do. And so would you teach that to our hearts, I pray, by your spirit. In Jesus' name.